0: Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by The Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators, and advisors, discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations, and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations by the Sustainability Board Report and the second part of our Future Ready Boards special series. My name is Frederick Otto. I'm the founder and business advisor of TSBR, and as always, I'm here with Helena Gudjunstotter, our project manager. Today, we feature one of the most renowned people in the environmental, social and governance research arena. That is Paul Washington, who is the executive director of the ESG Center at the Conference Board, one of the oldest think tanks in the United States. Helena, yet again, another great conversation about future ready boards and how to set them up for a sustainable future. What was your favorite piece of the conversation this time?
0: Yeah, thank you, Freddie. So overall, I think the conversation was very inspiring and we cover a lot of topics which are extremely relevant. Um, To start with, we discussed the relationship between the different players. So we have the nonprofits, governments, corporations, and we discussed really the importance of how this has changed this relationship. So NGOs are actually becoming more partners. Governments are actually lagging in terms of regulation, whereas companies are leading. But obviously, we'll dive deeper into that We also discussed something that I think is very important. How do you evaluate your relationship with your business partners and how can they help you on their sustainability journey, which I think is becoming ever more important, especially in the last few years. Of course, as we have done in previous conversations, I really enjoy listening to experts that discuss the evolution of sort of boardroom practices, how the narrative is actually changing or you know, from these yearly reports to actually becoming a strategic role for boards and in being involved with all these topics, such as workforce issues, environmental issues, and so on. Since we have such a fantastic guest on our show today, there's some really good insights shared. So Paul actually gives us some good examples about research that's being done into, for example, what employees are looking for, what customers are looking for. And for all our listeners today, we will be sharing all the links to this research so that you can dive deeper into this. And those links will actually be found on our website and in the podcast description. But yeah, I think I've shared a lot. But Freddie, was there anything from you that stood out?
1: I think you covered it all quite well. Indeed, for the first time, really, we are talking more about the role of the supplier communities, business partner, as as Paul says, the significance of human capital or workforce, as he prefers to say. And as you mentioned as well, I think very fascinating to hear a little bit more about the changed relationship between boards and management.
0: Yes, perfect. So I think without further ado, we can dive into the conversation.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Leadership Conversations. Our guest today is Paul Washington. Paul is the Executive Director of the Environmental, Social and Governance Center at the Conference Board. Paul is a recognized leader with a distinguished career in the ESG space. Before joining the conference board, he served as Senior Vice President, Deputy General Counsel and Corporate Secretary of Time Warner. He also served as Chief of Staff for the company's Chairman and CEO. Prior to Time Warner, Paul practiced law at the firm of Sidley & Austin and served as Vice President and Corporate Secretary of the Dime Savings Bank of New York. Paul also is the former chairman of the Society for Corporate Governance and a resident fellow at Fordham University School of Law, where he taught corporate governance for over a decade. Paul, I'm very pleased to have you on our humble podcast today. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule.
2: Oh, really delighted to be with you, thank you.
1: I can't think of many people who would be better placed to talk to us today about our prevailing societal issues and how businesses, capital markets, and corporate boards are engaging with these issues. Before we dive into it, Paul, could you please share a little bit more about your background and the role at the conference board?
2: Sure. I'll start with the conference board and then give you a little bit of how I got here. So at the conference board, I lead the ESG Center, which focuses on corporate governance, sustainability, and citizenship. The conference board is a nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank serving the business community. We've been doing that since 1916. And I think one of the things that sets the organization apart, especially in the sustainability area, is that we don't rank organizations, we don't rank them. We're here to help largely the business community, Figure out how they can navigate this new era of ESG and sustainability and, frankly, become better corporate citizens. So that's our mission at the conference board, our mission at the ESG Center, and it's a great place to be. And I came here, as you mentioned, after a 20 year career at Time Warner, where I inherited working with the board of directors after the greatest destruction of shareholder value in the history of the globe at that point, uh, which was the AOL-Time Warner merger, and saw it through the next 20 years until um, Time Warner was acquired by AT&T. And along the way, I've worked in the United States in all three branches of government, all three levels of government. And I've also got a background in international law. When I was at Time Warner, among my other duties, was to be responsible for the company's international legal affairs.
1: Considering your background in the public service space and in corporates and working for nonprofit organizations, how has the relationship changed between those players in terms of fostering more environmentally and socially conscious business? It's a
2: great question. So I think for a long time, nonprofit organizations, NGOs were pushing companies to take action on environmental and social issues, and especially in the United States, they would use the process of submitting proposals to be voted on at shareholder meetings. And that's been going on for, you know, for decades, then government stepped in and in the wake of scandals and crises, So after Enron and WorldCom, you had Sarbanes-Oxley Act. After the financial crisis, you had the Dodd-Frank Act in the United States, and these have been mirrored by similar legislative and regulatory efforts around the world. And so you had NGOs pushing for change, then you had regulations pushing for change. But something has really changed in the last few years, and it's the companies themselves have assumed the mantle of leadership in these areas and have, frankly, they're no longer reacting to regulation. In fact, in some ways, regulation is lagging. What companies are doing. Companies are looking at the array of environmental and social impacts that they have. They're looking at their stakeholders and they're recrafting their business to address those issues and to serve those stakeholders. And in some ways, especially in the United States, the regulations are lagging. And I think the other thing that's happened is that those nonprofits that for a lot of companies decades ago were just an annoyance are now much more of partners for companies as they're grappling with these issues. So they become a sounding board and a resource for companies as they're trying to figure out how they can, the companies are figuring out how they can become more environmentally and socially responsible. So the dynamic has changed where regulation is often lagging, not leading, and the nonprofits are increasingly becoming partners and not just prodders.
1: We have actually done some research last year in who are the leaders in a business ecosystem driving the sustainability and the ESG agenda. And we interviewed a lot of corporate and non-profit and some academic leaders as well. And everybody had a different opinion, luckily, of where the pressure is exerted on the corporation. Can you pinpoint a particular player? Is it investors, for example, with increasing ESG shareholder proposals? Or can you point out any particular other stakeholder who is very present in corporate boardrooms right now?
2: Well, not to be difficult, but it's actually all of the above. So if you are a public company, the fact that ESG issues have been embraced by mainstream investors and that they are being pushed by BlackRock, and Vanguard, and Fidelity, and State Street, and as well as international investment houses, which were actually ahead of the curve here, that's making a big difference, because it's something that you know the large institutional investors actually care deeply about, because when you have 30% of the S&P 500 in the United States controlled by top 10 asset managers, they're concerned about systemic risk, right? So they're certainly pushing this, but they're not alone. You know, employees, we've done research at the conference board that indicates that about three quarters, actually, 72% of employees want their companies to take stands on social issues, right? At least a significant amount of the time. So there's a strong, especially in a tight labor market, there's strong pressure from employees on this. Consumers, also, we've got some great research from the conference board that shows what are really driving consumer spending decisions. It's not even necessarily what you think. It is actually on the social side, it's economic pocketbook issues, it's fair wages and fair labor conditions. And on the environmental side, you know, it's up there right with climate change, it's conservation of natural resources. So consumers are driving this. The other thing, and it's a little bit of a sleeper issue, but the other factor that's really driving this for companies are their business partners. We recently put out a piece that cites some research that says 69% of procurement executives are evaluating other companies that they're dealing business with in terms of sustainability. So that's a very powerful driver when your business partners are deciding whether to do business with you and how much business to do with you based on what you're doing to help them in their own sustainability journey. That's a really powerful motivator. And that's why I think this applies to not just public companies, but private companies, and why this is a very significant and durable shift that we're undergoing, regardless of what happens with regulation
1: excellent and i'm glad you bring up the supplier community or business partners as you said because i feel sometimes that is a very underestimated stakeholder group and i would definitely agree that there's more and more pressure coming from that side as well but regardless of what stakeholder it may be there is a focal point of accountability to govern these esg issues or progress uh, particularly as it pertains to corporate strategy and companies purposes on board of directors so can we just look at where we were a few years ago and how that has
2: changed, how the narrative has evolved in the boardroom? Sure. It's a great question. So if we split this apart into E, S, and G, boards have always been focused on governance, and that's been a focus of regulation. It's been a focus for a long time. But I think really what we're talking about is, I would say more broadly, is sustainability. Because you can think about E, S, and G as three food groups, like milk, dairy, and starch. But what this is all about is a balanced and healthy and sustainable diet, right? So how has that started to play into the into boardrooms? Well, yeah, five, 10 years ago, boards would receive reports, perhaps once a year on corporate social responsibility. They would, depending on the industry, get information on employee health and safety, especially in industries like the mining industry and others, that that would be an important factor for them to consider. And obviously, the energy companies were focused on issues of energy conservation, climate change, and so forth. But it was generally a topic The sustainability was often a topic that was somewhat siloed organizationally within management and paid attention to on only a periodic basis by the board, right? And it was also siloed within industries. That is fundamentally changed. So today, boards are increasingly, not universally, but increasingly looking at sustainability as something that is part and parcel of their business strategy. so we've got a survey underway. And so this is not even really ready for prime time yet because it's a survey that's underway of how boards are addressing ESG issues. And based on our initial results of the survey, again, still ongoing, 60% think that they are actually doing a, a good or, excellent job of incorporating ESG issues into their business strategy. That is a profound change from the past.
1: Would you also agree that environmental and social concerns have accelerated the engagement between boards and management where it might have been previously management is management and governance is governance, that is now more of a blend? Would you say that is a trend and that helps the
2: company? You know, it's a really good question because this is where governance does get tricky. So in this area of sustainability, stakeholder capitalism and so forth, does the line move between the board and management? I actually don't think it fundamentally moves, but I do think that the board is engaging in new topics. Let's take a term I actually don't like which is human capital management. I actually prefer the term your workforce, right? So, in the past, the board's engagement on workforce issues was episodic. If you had a me too scandal, if you had some other sort of issue, CEO succession or something, the board would engage, right? Some cultural issue the board would engage on the topic. But generally, they left a lot of it to management. Now we're seeing boards look at workforce issues during the pandemic. Workers became the number two priority for companies right after liquidity, and they're still up there. So now the board is not micromanaging in the area, but they aren't moving into an appropriate oversight and strategy setting role in that area. And management has to play a role, obviously, proposing the strategy. So, you know, when it comes to your workforce, the question now is, do you have the workforce you need in three to five years? If not, what are you going to do to get there? Right. And actually, the board is still staying in its lane, if you will, but it's now driving in that lane and then on a new highway, right, which is workforce. And so it's now driving in a new lane on environmental issues. So it's now out there in new areas, but generally speaking, keeping to the appropriate role of deciding certain things, overseeing others, advising. The one big difference that's happened with boards in this era is engagement. Engagement didn't used to be part of a director's job description. Increasingly, directors, especially at large companies, are engaging with their stockholders. They're also starting to engage with employees directly in ways they hadn't before, no longer just the Potemkin village of, oh, the board is coming to visit a factory, right? To observe things, right? And everything's all nice and pretty and everyone's wearing their Sunday vest. There's actually much more engagement that you're getting with boards and employees and boards and sometimes business partners because they want to hear directly from them than happened in the past.
1: I'm glad you brought up this example of workforce and employees. My background is actually organizational consulting, and um, I can attest from personal experience that during the the COVID time, um, all of a sudden the chief uh, human resources officer was ever more present in boardrooms, and and that topic has become very, very pronounced. Uh, So thanks for that example. Let's just stay with that and perhaps add the business case of sustainability. We have discovered now that the responsibilities of boards has changed quite dramatically. And there's a huge to-do list for all board members, regardless of what stakeholders there are. But from your experience of engaging with individual board members, how does the competence, the consciousness of these board members evolve with these challenges? Do you feel directors are overwhelmed? Do you feel directors get the necessary input to govern these challenges appropriately? How do you see the individual impetus of this?
2: So again, a really interesting question. Look, I think as one general counsel said in a discussion a few months ago, he felt overexposed and undereducated on ESG. And this is one of the smartest people I know in corporate America, right? And I think that's also true about Ford's, that part of the trouble here is just nomenclature. Like, what does it mean? What are we even talking about? What's the difference between stakeholder capitalism and ESG and sustainability and corporate social responsibility? And haven't we been doing something in these areas all along? And how are things different? So part of this is just the language issue and overcoming that and part of it is coming to understand what the company has already been doing in these areas, so it's not entirely unfamiliar. But a few things that are happening, one of which is actually a concern I have. We recently put out a report that notes that as boards are adding functional expertise on technology, on workforce or human capital, human resources, in other areas, they're actually losing expertise in business strategy and international experience in the russell 3000 which represents us public companies by and large we've seen a decline in the last few years of four points in strategic business experience that's worrisome because if you have a board populated with x ex- individual experts but they can't make the connection between the area of their functional expertise and strategy they're actually not adding much to the board's discussion or even to collaborating with management so i think One of the big issues here is boards need to get educated on these issues. And if you're bringing on directors with functional expertise, they've got to have strategic expertise as well. I think the other thing that's happening when it comes to board composition, which is awfully important, is uh, beyond diversity, beyond uh, backgrounds and experience and ethnic and gender diversity, something that's maybe more important than ever before is directors who want to listen and learn and not just lecture and lead. You need a culture on the board and you need individual directors who are there to fulfill their fiduciary duties, but just their soft skills have to be ones that let them be really adaptable. What they've got to be people who want to always learn and who are who don't who don't come into the room thinking that they already have all the answers, right? Because that is not going to serve a board right now very well. You also need boards members who um, are willing and able to undergo a series of unending crises, which seems to be what we're going through in the world these days. So you need good crisis management skills on the board. So I think some of those soft skills, some of those personality traits, along with business planning experience and strategic planning experience, are awfully important for boards in the future.
1: Fantastic. And in terms of implementing new regulations, in terms of getting ahead of the curve, any trends on the horizon where you would advise any board member to pay attention
2: to? Sure. So I think there is a sort of a sleeper issue out there that's going to affect companies, not only in the EU, but in the US. And that is the draft directive on sustainability due diligence. That was issued by the EU in February, which would have an extraterritorial effect on about 4,000 companies not headquartered in the EU. And it would actually reach into corporate boardrooms and change fiduciary duties. It would require boards to consider the negative impact that their firm and their entire value chain would have on the environment and on human rights in making their decisions. They'd have to have a program to address potential harms and to eliminate actual harms they'd have to provide an annual report on it. and frankly they'd face some liability if they didn't. that is that is going to make any of the familiar U.S approach regulations of you know just increasing disclosure seem like child's play by comparison if this directive goes through, right? because it's you know one thing to have to disclose it there's a lot of work to comply with the new, SEC proposed rules on climate change, yes, but this actually could have a really profound impact on companies and the thresholds for affecting companies outside Europe are not that high. It's 150 million euros in annual turnover in general and 40 million euro turnover for companies in certain industries or have revenue from certain industries. So that's going to have broad territorial reach. Now it's a directive. It takes a while for those things, you know, first it has to be approved and then, implementing regulation at the member state level. But I think that's a regulatory initiative that a lot of firms ought to be keeping an eye on that they may not be.
1: Excellent example. Thanks very much for that, Paul. And I recall in our last episode, we spoke with a non-executive director who was talking about the issue of the jurisdiction in general and how, let's just take Europe as an example again, how you might want to become a B Corp, or implement societal components into your bylaws, but you are legally barred from doing that due to the prevailing legislation. Do you think finding a common denominator of who the corporation is legally responsible to is the right way of going, or should we look at an individual corporate context?
2: I actually think that we're not in a bad place right now, and I'll speak from a U.S. legal perspective. That... I think companies get to decide where they want to be on the stockholder to stakeholder spectrum, whether they want to run their company, like Gordon Gecko from wall street, where greed was good, or they want to be more of a tree hugger kind of company. Right. And I think you get to decide where you want to be on that spectrum and that's fine because that allows for certain experimentation and under us law, as long as there's a legitimate connection with your company, you can run your company very much with the long-term welfare of your employees, your customers, your communities, and the natural environment in mind. Those are, in fact, legitimate goals for a company to have. And you can, in fact, you know, there are market forces that may come in and disrupt it, but you can, in fact, sort of say, you know what? In order to protect the health and safety and economic well-being of our employees, we're going to pay them a little more. And you know what, that might have a negative impact on our stock price, even in the very long run, that is a permissible judgment for US companies to engage in. So I actually think we're in an okay place where you get to decide where other than extraordinary circumstances, like when you're trying to sell the company and the stockholders prevail, or if you're going into bankruptcy where the creditors prevail, you know, I think we're actually in an okay place. For companies to have that flexibility they also have the flexibility to determine their purpose which is why they exist right companies have a mission which is what they do a purpose why they do it and the values of how they do it and you know i think increasingly companies are finding great benefit for defining for themselves for their stakeholders and so forth why they why they even exist
1: that's a fantastic synopsis thanks very much paul i, I think you hit the nail on the head And now we are unfortunately already getting to the end of the podcast, but I have two more questions for you, which we are asking all of our guests. And this is always my favorite part. What is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on either yourself or
2: society at large? So I'll say that I've had the opportunity to work for two U.S. Supreme Court justices, a couple of U.S. senators, the governor multiple CEOs, and working for all of them, I learned the importance of being yourself. Authenticity as a leader is you know, something you can't fake, right? And that, that's important. But the experience that I had that sort of changed me and got me even interested in this whole field was working at the Dime Savings Bank of New York in the late 80s and early 90s when the 1st SNL crisis, savings and loan crisis, hit. The bank was about to go under. It was rated in danger of imminent seizure by the regulators. And in a matter of 18 months, we turned it from being in danger of imminent seizure to being the top in the top tier of all banking institutions in America. No other bank had ever done that. And how did we do it? Well, partly we had a great leader, Dick Parsons, who helped recapitalize the bank. But the other thing we did is we made modest changes in board practices which had a significant impact on board and management effectiveness and helped turn the place around. So I saw how modest changes at the board level could have a very powerful effect throughout an entire organization and was a key part of transforming that organization and, frankly, saving it.
1: Excellent. And uh, you probably already covered the last question, and that would be, what is your final piece of advice to leaders to set them up for more uh, impact, positive impact? Any last words, any last thoughts on that?
2: I think never stop learning and and look at unconventional places, whether it's on this podcast or, or at the conference board, go into this with an open mind and you're going to find that your own career is so much richer, so much more interesting, and you will in fact have much greater impact than if you just stick with what you already know.
1: Never stop learning. I couldn't agree more. Paul, thanks so much for helping us today, learning something new and really, really appreciate taking the time today. Thanks.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.